Sunday morning. Everybody stand together. Let's all make a joyful noise. Brother Ken's going to come lead us. Let's worship the Lord in song this morning. Brother Ken. Amen. She saw more with blinded eyes than many of us can see with our physical eyes. Great things he hath done and great things he continues to do. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, let me give you some prayer requests today. Uh, pray for, of course, Brother Whitlow's family in the home going of Junior Whitlow uh, services this past week. We've got several in our church, of course, who've lost loved ones in the last several weeks. Continue to lift them up. Then we've got some in our church who are physically battling. Uh, I couldn't begin to name them all, but I want to give you just a couple. Sister Helen King, Sister Marie Hancock, remember both of those. Sister Marie is, of course, Patly, Patsy Gunner's mother, one of our shut-ins. Pray for Brother Elgin's mother in the hospital. We've got a list that goes on and on 
and on. Uh, but pray for each of them. And I'm going to ask you now to uh, uh, pray that the Lord would have his way in our service today. I know I say it all the time, but I'm going to say again, if he's here, we need him to be here. And if, and if we're here, we need him to be here. And if he's not here, we might as well close the doors. Amen? So James, take us to the throne this morning, and let's join James as we pray together for the services. Son, pray for us, buddy. Our Father and our God, we thank you for bringing us back here. Lord, yep. thank you for this building that you've provided for us. Father, thank you for giving us the privilege that we have of knowing you, of worshiping you. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for us. Father, thank you for calling us to yourself. Lord, thank you for saving us, for keeping us. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege that we have to know the true God and worship him. Father, first we pray this morning that you would help our hearts and our minds to be turned towards you, toward the things of you. Father, may you help us to worship you in the way that you've told us to. Father, with songs and hymns and spiritual songs and giving of thanks. Father, we also pray for the preaching of the word to follow. Father, we pray that our hearts would be receptive, that our minds would be open, and that we would hear the word of truth and leave here obeying it. Father, most importantly, we pray that if someone here today has not trusted your son as their Savior, Father, we ask you today, God, to save them, and Father, that we may rejoice with them and with you. Father, we love you because we because you first loved us, and it's through your son we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Many years ago, in fact, even before I started pastoring, uh, Renee and I had the privilege of spending a week every summer down at Peachtree Road Baptist Church. Brother Preston Moore was the pastor there, uh, a wonderful, wonderful, godly man. And uh, at their church, they had an enormous choir, choir of about 300, that uh, sang this song, and we fell in love with it. Little did I know who the author was, Becky Townsend's father. Didn't know C.T., didn't know Becky, uh, but Becky's daddy wrote this song, uh, and we taught it to our choir when we first started at Amazing Grace. I love, love, love it. I hope it'll bless your heart. It says, I'm still amazed. Street up your goal. He's the only king who 
to watch her sing that, her neck gets as red as her hair. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Going to do one more for you this morning. It doesn't take long to listen to prayer requests at our church to hear that the last few months have been difficult for a lot of folks. We've walked through a lot of valleys, but I'm glad to report to you this morning that for the child of God, the valley of death is just a shadow. But it's in those dark places that we learn about the sweet presence of the Spirit of God. I submit to you this morning that it's only because of the valley we know how sweet the mountaintop is. And it's only because of the storm that we find out how precious the presence of our God is. I want you to listen now to Brother Ken as he sings, I think, one of the most beautiful songs that's ever been written, Sweet Things Out of Dark Places. Sing it, buddy.
job awesome job love that song reminder that we're having choir practice tonight 445 uh, several folks have already chatted with me that they're going to be joining we're looking forward to having you our requirements are of course a faithful member here of the church and a desire to make a joyful noise that's it we don't do auditions or anything like that we sing by letter we open up and let her rip amen so uh, you, uh, if you if you want to join us and you're a faithful member here uh, we'd sure love to have you 
I am excited today to announce a couple of things to you. First of all, uh, we are beginning today a new ministry here at the church. Uh, when we merged, uh, almost, uh, goodness, seven years ago now, uh, we, we put together our children's program. And, of course, uh, it was eminently successful. Uh, we put them all together. We've had a good problem, and that problem is it's gotten too big. I like problems like that. And so beginning today, we are separating our ages out. Uh, children's church will be ages the same uh, bottom age, four up through third grade. Uh, they'll be going upstairs. And then grades four, five, and six will be in our teen room. Uh, and so they'll all go out at the same time. So you'll hear me mention children's church and junior church all heading out at the same time. But I'll remind all the kids again, all the kids look this way at me. If you're up through third grade, you'll go upstairs like you always have. But grades four, five, and six, after you use the restroom, do everything that you do down here, you'll go straight into the teen room. And they're going to talk to you about the new program uh, that we've set up for that. You'll have some points that you can earn. Uh, as you get older, you understand that there's some little bit of friendly competition involved. And you'll enjoy that. And I appreciate those folks who are so uh, willing to help both our children's program and our junior church program. Uh, ministry uh, happens at all levels, and I appreciate you taking leadership positions in those capacities. Also, uh, if you'll note, uh, next Sunday morning, uh, there'll be a lady Sunday school in the teen room. Thank you for those that came today. Uh, I appreciate the good crowd that came out today in honor for Miss Renee's birthday. Had a, we had a good time downstairs. We'll do it again next Sunday. Uh, there'll be a lady Sunday school class in the teen room, and I'll have the men uh, from my Sunday school class, the teen boys downstairs as well. Then you'll also note in your bulletin that I've listed the 2018 SAGBC officers. Uh, we had our business meeting on Wednesday night. And once again, those officers were voted in. And I will pay, ask you to pay careful attention to the bottom right-hand corner. I am delighted, as we've said on Wednesday night, with the church's 100% approval on this one, uh, to have brought in uh, Brother David and Sister Leanne Toller onto our ministry staff. Brother David, uh, stand up, Brother David. And Miss Leanne, I don't think she's in here, but stand up, Brother David. Uh, Brother David pastored for many years at Tabernacle Baptist. Amen. And uh, he, of course, is leading our college effort here. But he's also going to help me out with some visitation, especially with our shut-ins, those that are sick. Uh, we've got some folks here that help out in that capacity, and I am eternally grateful for that. Brother David is going to, has joined our staff to help out in that manner as well, because just to be honest with you, I can't get everywhere, and I can't do all of that, to be very frank with you. It's taken me a lot of years to admit that I can't do it all, but I can't. So uh, I have to share this with you, Brother David absolutely bless my heart when he and I were chatting about this at the end of last year uh, and we were just discussing the possibilities and I told him uh, asked him to pray about it and and he said well, you know preacher I actually wrote this down because I don't want to forget this he said in my years of pastoring I've realized that there are some folks uh, who aren't doing much and really need help and then there are some folks who are trying to do everything and really deserve help and you and your folks deserve some help I like that. I looked at him and said, you're hired. Amen. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate Brother David and Miss Leanna uh, and their willingness to help us out here while they're here. And you continue to pray that God will bless them in this capacity. Having said all of that, let's get all the little ones. If you're heading to children's church or junior church, I want you to come down now. You're going to grab these little buckets here. Brother James, come on and get it all ready. And if you're visiting with us, they're going to come around, collect any loose change that you've got. And this is going to help support children's and ladies' programming here at the church. Come on, young folks, make your way.
Children's Church, Junior Church. Everybody heading that way, come on this morning. Children's Church, Junior Church. Come on, make your way down this morning. services, you'll need to go this direction to pick them up. You understand that in today's society, we don't just turn them loose. Uh, that's, we can't do that. So you come this direction uh, and you can pick up your youngins. Please come that direction and pick up your youngins. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Please. Uh, uh, but of course, we can't just turn them loose. Uh, we keep them either in the teen room or right down here uh, for you to come pick them up after services this morning. We're delighted to welcome little Dexter in our church this morning. Amen. He's over there covered up, snug as a bug in a rug. You can't wake him up because if you wake up a sleeping baby, you get punched. Amen. Uh, but we're delighted to welcome them this morning, and we appreciate you being here as well. Gentlemen, make your way down today if you would. Corbin, you come get ready to sing for us, young man. You mind the Lord with his tithes and your offerings, and God will bless you for your continued obedience to him. We're going to pray, ask God's blessings upon this offering, and then upon our services as well. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity that you've provided for us to be here in your house today. Lord, I say it all the time, but I am so sincere. We don't take for granted the fact that church doors are open and folks are here hungry to hear from heaven, to study, to learn. And Lord, for those that are here today that have never been saved, I pray that you'd convict their hearts as only the Spirit of God can do. And Lord, that they'd walk out of here today, that brand new creature. Bless this offering. Corbin, as he sings, we'll praise you. Christ's name, amen.
never failed me, never left me. Not one time have I cried out, and my voice he has not heard. Never failed me, he won't start today. Amen. Let's all stand together one more time. Page number 203. Page 203. We'll sing the short course of the windows of heaven. Then we'll have a time of fellowship. That's page number 203 today.
right, the book of Judges this morning. The book of Judges, chapter number three. While you're turning, I want to give you one more prayer request. I know I've given you a lot, and there's lots more I haven't given you, frankly, uh, that's been shared with me. But I want you to pray especially this week for Sister Jeannie Martin. She's got to have some significant surgery on Tuesday. So remember Sister Jeannie, pray for Brother Johnny as he cares for her as well. Lord knows all those details, but you just pray for both of them if you would. Aren't you glad that the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? Thank God for prayer. Judges chapter 3 this morning. Chapter 3. Heard a great little story this week. In the wake of all the political mess happening around us, across our country and frankly across the world, two politicians from Washington, D.C. were standing beside their car when they realized they had locked themselves out. And there were some very important papers in there that they needed for a meeting to which they were heading. One of them looked at the other one and said, you know, let me see if I can grab a coat hanger and go in there and see if I can jimmy the lock. The other one said, no, you can't do that. Somebody might see us, think we're breaking into the car. Can't do that. And he said, well, I got a pocket knife. What if I cut the rubber off around the window, and then maybe I can get the w window down enough to, to, he said, no, I don't do that. Then people think we're too stupid to use a clothes hanger. Finally, he said, well, you better do something because the top on this convertible is down, and it's getting ready to rain. <laughs> Amen. Y'all like that one, didn't you? <laughs> Judges 3 this morning. Verse number 12. Verse number 12. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. This is not the message, but every time I read a verse like this where God strengthens an ungodly entity, in this case, Eglon, king of Moab, it's a reminder to us that God will even use the lost world to get the believer's attention. God will do anything to get our attention and shake our rafters, make us realize the error of our ways. Look at the next verse, verse 13. And he gathered, this is still Eglon, king of Moab, he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees, which, by the way, the city of palm trees, so you'll understand, is Jerusalem, which means that they had sacked the capital city or possessed the capital city. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Jerah, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him, the children of Israel sent a present 
unto Eglon, the king of Moab. Let's pray. Father, we are, again, thankful and grateful for your word. Lord, you've told us plainly that when cast and delivered, it would never return void. Lord, we have truly felt the presence of the Holy One in our midst today. Lord, we understand that all is vain unless his spirit comes down. Lord, so I pray that you would impart today wisdom, knowledge, understanding of this passage that we're about to embark upon. Lord, that you would use the outline to strengthen the believer, helping us understand that the battle for our flesh is a reality. And Lord, it is my sincerest and most earnest prayer if there is anyone here today that has never been saved, I pray that you would send the Spirit to convict that heart. Lord, that only the Spirit can do, that you would show them that need of salvation today. We'll thank you and we'll praise you. In the precious, sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. When you look at the history of Israel, and in particular, the book of Judges, you very quickly see a pattern that begins to develop. The last verse of the book of Judges gives us a clear indication of the realities of the day when it says that in those days there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And I don't need to tell you, but I will do so, that whenever a man does that which is right in his own eyes, the end game is never good. The pattern that so clearly followed the nation of Israel for 400 years that covers the book of Judges is one that is very easy to understand. As long as they had a good, solid leader, they would serve God faithfully while that leader followed God and the leadership was strong. They had a good ruler that they'd follow after. Because this was before the times of the kings, when that judge, that ruler would die, they would have no leader, and typically they would desert God, begin to live a life of disobedience, giving themselves over to the worship of pagan gods that surrounded them, and eventually find themselves in terrible chastisement, find themselves in servitude and bondage to an outside entity or an outside government. This pattern repeated itself over and over and over during the 400 years that make up the book of Judges. This particular passage is a no different, in fact, fits squarely within that pattern. You read the verses preceding, you find that Israel had sinned against God. God caused Eglon, king of Moab, to become strong. Moab, led by Eglon, invades Israel and is joined by the Ammonites and Amalekites. And for 18 years, they oppress the nation of Israel and keep them in servitude and bondage. When they repent, God raises up a man named Ehud to become their deliverer. And as we will read about in a few moments, Ehud ends up assassinating Eglon and leading Israel to incredible victory and freedom, a pattern that typified over and over and over. Disobedience, chastisement, repentance, restoration. Disobedience, chastisement, repentance, and restoration. 
You can read all of the book of Judges and you see this repeated over and over. But this one, Judge Ehud, this story stands out in many ways because of the dynamic characters and some of the interesting backstory that is relevant to the message. Many years ago, there was a great, great preacher of yesteryear, a preacher by the name of Mays Jackson. Some of you are nodding your heads. You know who of, of whom I speak. Mays was cut from the cloth of Joe Arthur and C.T. Townsend, a hellfire and brimstone preacher with a pointed finger uh, who spit and sweat everywhere he went. Mays Jackson was a big dude. He was tall, and he was about as wide as he was tall. He had a, many famous sermons, but one of the ones that gained a lot of popularity, especially towards the later years of his evangelistic ministry, was taken from this passage, and he entitled his message, When Lefty Let Fatty Have It. That was his title. And in fact, still today, if you Google that phrase, When Lefty Let Fatty Have It, you will see preachers who are preaching Mays Jackson's outline, incredibly famous. However, when I was writing this out and I, uh, putting my own notes and uh, uh, outline together, I realized that that title was perhaps politically incorrect. But if I were to use that title, first of all, folks would think that I copied Mays' outline, which I have not done. But secondly, there might be some folks that might get offended by that phrase when lefty let fatty have it. So I've retitled it. In fact, I've given it three titles. The first one I came up with was when the Southpaw stuffed the slug. I like that one. Then I came up with another one that I really liked. When the preacher punched the pleasantly plump potentate. I like that one, but then I thought I might have to say it three or four times and I'd never get it out again. So I changed it to simply this, destroying our flesh. Destroying our flesh. Because in reality, while we can have a lot of fun with this story, and we will, while we can look at the interesting dynamics of this story, and we will, the story has much to teach us. Because church, like Israel... We, believers, often follow the same pattern. Disobedience, chastisement, repentance. Disobedience, chastisement, repentance, restoration. As we read in just a moment, we study about this ruler, Eglon. I want you to understand that he is the perfect picture, the perfect image, if you will, of our flesh. You need to get this because Eglon is out of control. He is self-indulgent, he's lazy, he's evil, and he's full of pride. Very typically related to our flesh. And in the, his defeat of Eglon, there is a beautiful picture of the battle that we are to be fighting every day because, listen to me, and please say amen to this, every person in this building, if you're saved, you battle your flesh. One of the things that I have learned in my nearly 17 years now of pastoring in May, 17 years and 20-plus years of preaching, nearly 25, it's hard to believe that, uh, 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 years of preaching, 
is that though the battle changes, it never wanes. By that I mean the things that I battle today are very different than what I battled 25 years ago. The things that tempt me today are very different than the things that tempted me 15 years ago. But there has never been a day, and I venture to say there never will be a day, where we can say we've won the battle of our flesh. We will always battle our flesh. We are literally in the fight of our lives. This passage gives us the help I think we need to understand how to win this battle. I want to say this, and I want to be very clear. I've said it a thousand times, but I'm going to say it again. God did not save us out of the pig pen so that we end up right back in the same slopping hog mess. We do not, we do not have to be a slave to our fleshly desires. We do not have to be a victim of spiritual bondage. We can be free from sin, and we can walk in victory. But listen, it'll never happen on accident. It will never happen by accident. Three things that I want us to look at this morning. We're going to read several verses in this passage or in this chapter. I want to give you, number one, Israel's dilemma. Number one, Israel's dilemma. These verses, the ones that we just read, verses 12 through 15, show us very clearly the oppression that Israel suffered under. They suffered it because of their rebellion against the Lord. Their problems uh, were a warning to all of us uh, that we too can fall uh, into spiritual bondage. Notice, if you would, first of all, their foes. Go again with me, please, to verse 12. Let's read it again. Verse 12. Children of Israel did evil again. Again, 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 in the sight of the Lord, the Lord strengthened Moab, or excuse me, strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they'd done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek and went and smote Israel. Their foes are very clear. It's interesting that these three uh, uh, tribes, if you will, or these three nationalities are bitter enemies against each other. But the one thing that united them is that their hatred of Israel is even greater than their hatred of each other. Their foes are very clear. It's three nation states. It's Moab, Ammon, and Amalekite, or Amalek. The Moabites, uh, the Ammonites, and the Amalekites. And interestingly, all three of these nations uh, were continual problems for Israel, and all three were connected to Israel uh, by blood. You probably know this, but the Amalekites were descendants of Esau, Jacob's twin brother. The Moabites and the Ammonites uh, were descendants of Lot, uh, Abraham's nephew. Uh, all three of these nations uh, were related by blood uh, to the Israelites, uh, but all three of them worshipped false gods, uh, and all three of them were a perpetual thorn in the side of the Israelites. Uh, and in fact, uh, they are picture-perfect proof uh, that when God told the Israelites, when you get over into the promised land, uh, destroy everybody, uh, don't let them stand, because if you don't destroy them, uh, they will forever be a thorn in your side. Guess what happened? Israel didn't destroy them, and these nations were forever a thorn in the side of Israel. Now here's where it's important for us. It's not just a fun history lesson. But these uh, are reminders to us, these three nations are reminders to us uh, of the importance of destroying and battling our own flesh every single day. The greatest preacher, I think, next to Jesus Christ that ever lived was the Apostle Paul, who said it simply like this, I die daily. 
every day I got to crucify my flesh. I shared this downstairs in my Sunday school, but I'll say again, uh, he said it like this. I'm paraphrasing the things that I want to do. I don't do them. The things that I know I ought not to do, those are the things that I end up doing. Uh, our flesh uh, must be defeated. It must be destroyed. Uh, our flesh wants its own way. Uh, our flesh desires to have what it wants, uh, and it will forever rear its ugly head. I don't care if you've been saved one week, one month, 10 years, or 50 years. You will always battle your flesh. Your foes. Amalites, Ammonites, the Moabites. Not only do you see their foes, but don't you see their fights as well. Look at verse 13. Latter part there. They went and smote Israel. Possessed the city of palm trees. Which is again, I told you, Jerusalem, the capital city. So then the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab. Eighteen years 18 years the Israelites were in bondage to this horrible triune entity for 18 years they were forced to pay tribute for 18 years they lived in spiritual slavery and bondage for 18 years uh, their capital city was destroyed for 18 years uh, they could not worship as they saw fit for 18 years uh, they were defeated destroyed and despondent Here's an important application. I hope you get it. When I talk about the battle of our flesh, please understand it's no Sunday afternoon picnic I'm talking about. It is the battle of your life. It is the battle of your testimony. It is the battle of your Christian walk. It is the very indicator of who you are in the faith. Listen now. The battle of your flesh is a war ground. Paul to the Ephesian church says, you got to suit up and put on the whole armor of Christ. Listen to me, friend. You don't need armor for a Sunday afternoon playground picnic. You don't need armor to, to go out and just do a little hopscotch and a little merry-go-round. You need armor when you're going to battle against the wiles of what Paul calls uh, the enemy, Satan. And to be able to withstand the darts, the fiery darts of the enemy, uh, in order to do that, you need armor. It's not a plaything. It is a battleground. Their fights were real, and ours are as well. I'm going to be honest with you. It's one of the reasons I don't have a lot of tolerance for people who criticize others uh, that have gotten caught up in their flesh. You know why? Because there before the grace of God go I. I don't have a lot of tolerance for people who shoot their own wounded. You know why? Because I've been one of the wounded. I don't have a lot of tolerance for people who want to badmouth and be holier than thou against those who are battling their flesh. Because may I say to you that one of the greatest battles of the flesh we have today is the battle of gossip. And that is ruining far more churches than drug addiction ever will. Amen, preacher. That's exactly right. Preach on, brother. Amen. The battle of the wagon tongue is destroying far more homes, far more churches uh, than what we typically think of as the battle of the flesh. The battle of flesh is for every one of us. Their foes, their fights, Israel's dilemma. Look secondly, if you would, please, at Israel's deliverer. This is where Israel found herself. When she finally got tired of being in bondage, when she finally got tired of being in the mess, she calls on the name of the Lord, begins the process of 
God pulling her back to himself. Notice, if you would, what the Scripture says about this deliverer. Interestingly, he has a, what I'm going to call a problem in verse 15. Notice what it says. So when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Jerah, a Benjamite. Notice what it says, a man left-handed. A man left-handed. We're told that Ehud was of the tribe of Benjamin. We're told that, that, that that's important for us as well to understand because that means that, that his battle was, was real because the, the proximity of the nation of, uh, or the, rather the city of Jerusalem there at, at, the, at the tribe of Benjamin. Most scholars agree that when it says that he was a man left-handed, it does not just mean that he utilized his left hand. How many of you in here today would consider yourselves left-handed? You write with your left hand. Just a handful. In fact, society tells us, I like the three or four of you that said, well, let me think about it. And then you raised your hand. <laughs> Didn't mean to confuse you. <laughs> society tells us today, or sociologists tell us today, that less than 10% of people today are left-handed. There was a time, even in American academia, when someone wrote with their left hand, they were chastised from doing so. They were taught to write or use their right hand. Somehow left-handedness was considered a weakness many years ago. We understand today that's just silliness. Uh, so when we talk about uh, this guy being left-handed, uh, both scholars agree it wasn't just that he was left-side dominant, that he used his left hand, that he started walking with his left foot. Uh, it actually meant uh, that his right side was bound or crippled. In other words, uh, he was left-handed uh, because the right side of him uh, was incapable of being right-handed. Uh, he was forced to use his left hand uh, because his right hand did not function properly. Well, I don't need to tell you. If that's the case, and I think they're correct, this is a problem for a deliverer. If you're going to raise up an army and be the captain of the army, the army does not need to be led by a cripple be clear I mean if you want somebody uh, who is going to lead the people to victory uh, you don't want someone who's physically incapacitated but here's the thing God never operates the way we think he should and you know one of the things that I've realized about those that God raised up with the exception of Jesus every one of them had flaws Moses was tongue-tied he didn't speak well that's the reason God gave him Aaron. David was young. He didn't have a lot of, folks didn't have a lot of confidence in him because of his youth. Paul, Saul, Paul was hated by the church. Here's what I want you to get from this. We all got issues. We all got problems. None of us can stand back and say, hey, look at me. I got it going on. I look at you and you look at me and there's nobody in here that's got anything to brag about. But what I love is the fact that God uses crackpots. God uses cracked vessels. I didn't say crackpots. I said cracked pots. Past some of y'all. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Good golly, Miss Molly. <laughs> 
God uses flawed vessels. Can I pause a moment and say this? And I hope everybody in the building will say amen. He doesn't demand perfection to be used of God. God takes a look at this young deliverer, Ehud. No, he doesn't look perfect. Uh, yes, he's got a flaw in him. Uh, and God says, uh, he's got a willingness about him. Uh, I can use that for my glory. Notice, not only do you see in Ehud what I'm calling his problem, I want you to see his plan. Got to go quickly. Look at verse 15, the last part. By him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. Ehud made him a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length. The cubit is 18 inches, so we got a knife 18 inches long, two edges, sharper than any two-edged sword, we might say. And he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. Now that's interesting. It's on his right thigh, the side that he couldn't use, the side that perhaps was crippled, uh, the side upon which nobody would think there would be anything if he was indeed crippled on his right side. Verse 17 says, uh, he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. Now you know if the Holy Spirit says his fat dude was big. We're going to see in just a moment that this was just not pleasantly plump. This dude, when Mace Jackson said, lefty let fatty have it, it was a good title. Keep reading. Verse 18. When he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present, but he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who, who said, Keep silent. And all that stood by him went out from him. Let me paraphrase this quickly. It would be required annually for all the Israelites, each tribe, to pay tribute to Eglon, the fat ruler. It would be required that they bring tribute to into the palace uh, to show their allegiance and their obedience. Uh, and on this particular occasion, uh, Ehud uh, leads the procession. Uh, they bring in uh, their tribute. They lay it at his feet, uh, and they all leave to walk away. Uh, but Ehud turns back, comes back by himself, uh, and says, O king, I have something from thee from the word of God himself. Uh, and Ehud says, Silence! And he demands that everybody leaves. He demands that everybody walks away. In that moment, Ehud is by himself, alone with the king. King, supposing that he's about to hear some great secret, tells everyone to keep silent until he and Ehud are alone. Why was he not worried? Why would he allow himself, the king, to even be alone with Ehud? I cannot help but think that when Ehud comes before the king, the king's not worried. After all, Ehud's a cripple. Eglon's got nothing to worry about in Ehud. What he sees is just an old crippled little fella who can't harm me in any way. And perhaps the guards even let him pass to be alone because what do you have to worry about a cripple? He's got to be weak. He can't handle the king. He's got to be weak. Can I pause just a moment and say that is exactly how our flesh thinks. Our flesh believes that you are weak. Our flesh thinks that it can control you and rule you. And you know what? The flesh is right. You are weak. I'm weak. But I am also reminded that in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says to the Corinthian church, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
I'm reminded in Philippians 4.13 uh, that Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Uh, and in 1 John 4.4, 4, uh, John writes, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Uh, yes, my flesh is weak, but you look at me, my God is stronger than my flesh. The plan. Problem. Notice, if you will, his performance. Now, I got to pause before we read this and tell you, it's going to get gross. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get a little bit yucky. But it ain't me, it's the word. So read it with me. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 20. And Ahud came unto him, the hymns of the king, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ahud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he, that's Eglon, arose out of his seat. Let me set the stage for you. Finally, they're alone. Eglon, sitting back, relaxed, comfortable in himself. Here comes the little crippled Ahud. I'm not being funny, but dragging himself in. And Ehud says, I have a message from God himself. And Eglon rises himself from his laziness because he does uh, uh, at least recognize that there's a word of God. And he stands. Exactly what Ehud was hoping would happen. The next verse says in 21, Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. It gets even prettier. And the haft also went in after the blade. And the fat closed upon the blade. So that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. And then there's that last little sweet pretty little clause there. That says and the dirt came out. You understand what's happening here. When Ehud pierced Eglon, it wasn't a little love tap. He thrust it all the way in. And he thrust it so hard and with such ferocity that Eglon's fat, ain't it pretty, sucked up the blade and the haft of the blade, the shaft, so that the entire knife uh, was absorbed into the belly he couldn't draw it out and the last clause there says the dirt came out do you know what that means it ain't pretty but it's what happened keep reading and Ahud verse 23 went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them when he was gone out his servants came, and when they saw, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, Surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. Now, I know when you read that quickly, you don't have any idea what that means. But let me explain to you what it means. You need to understand it as you begin to read the next few verses. Gentlemen, this is for you. When we walk into a public restroom, and we need to use... Uh, not the urinal, but we need to use the toilet. Uh, one of the first things we do is make sure it's not occupied. And the way that we do that, uh, 
Don't look at me like I'm crazy. You know that's what you do. If you're too old to bend, you back up so that you can see. And if you see feet covered, you know. If you see the britches covering the feet, you know that it's occupied. That's exactly what's happening here. That's what it means when it says, Surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. They tarried till they were ashamed. Verse 25. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened them, and behold, their Lord was fallen dead on the earth. And they who'd escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped unto Sarah. It's a fascinating little few verses there. Paints a very vivid portrait. This is really gross. I get it. It's not typical Sunday morning preaching. It's not pretty. But it is a reminder to us. Listen now. Please get this. We can laugh. We can chuckle. But you got to get this. The battle we face with the flesh, it ain't pretty. The battle we face with the flesh is real. In fact, it is so real that to the disciples, uh, Jesus says, I'm going to paraphrase, uh, if your left hand offends you, cut it off. He's not speaking figuratively. He's not telling you to literally cut off your hand or to pluck out your eye. But he is saying to recognize and to acknowledge that which gives you problems and to destroy it and to defeat it. And you don't defeat it with a little love tap. Notice, if you would, please. Number one, the dilemma. I'm finishing now. Number two, the deliverer. Number three, Israel's deliverance. It's one thing for Eglon to be destroyed. But the question is, is Israel going to follow? Is Israel going to now follow the leadership of this deliverer that God has raised up? Notice, if you would, they're following in verse 27. Came to pass when it was come, or when he was come, that he blew a trumpet in the mount of Ephraim. The children of Israel went down with him from the mount, and he before them. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him, and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab, and suffered not a man to pass over. Several times in which Israel would blow a trumpet. Several reasons for a trumpet to be blown. Uh, they were blown to announce a victory. Uh, trumpets were blown to signal a change of location, to demonstrate joy or praise the Lord, uh, or to call the people to war. And that last one is the purpose here. Yes, uh, yes, Ehud uh, had defeated Eglon, but you listen and you listen well. It would not matter unless the Israelites now followed his leadership. Otherwise, get me now, they're still in slavery and bondage uh, unless they followed uh, what thus saith the Lord through the mouthpiece of Ehud. The test now was to see whether or not Israel would follow. Please get me. Please hear me. We will never defeat the flesh by ourselves. You don't have it in you. I don't have it in me. The only way for us to defeat the flesh is with the power of our own two-edged sword. When you see the description of the dagger that Ehud carried, 18 inches long, a cubit, 18 inches, nearly 18 inches, just over 17, 
sharp on both edges, a beautiful picture of a two-edged sword. And my Bible tells me that the word is sharper than a two-edged sword. May I pause a moment and say some of you won't like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, the greatest function that a pastor has uh, is to deliver the preaching from thus saith the word of the Lord. I never cease to be amazed at the people who get angry and upset uh, at the pastor for things that were never the pastor's responsibility. Uh, the greatest thing that a preacher can do is to give you right out of the book because you need it and I need it. And without it, we will never defeat our flesh. Let me close this morning and simply give you the last point. Go back to Scripture if you would, please. Because Israel was willing to fight. Verse 28 and verse 29, we're done. He said unto them, follow after me. The Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. They went down after him, took the fords of Jordan toward Moab, and suffered not a man to pass over. They slew of Moab all at that time about 10,000 men. Lusty. That means virulent. That means strong. And oh, men of valor. And there escaped not a man. Absolute, total victory over the Moabites. Listen now, I'm done. We, not, we need not fear the size of the power of our enemy. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We're not to tolerate even the lightest bit of flesh within us. Every vestige of the flesh may be put to death. Jude says it like this, hating even the garment that's spotted by the flesh. If we're honest, we have problems with our flesh. And if we're honest, we need to do a better job of conquering our flesh. And I'm going to close with this. So often... When I talk about the flesh, people think I'm talking about drugs, sexual immorality, alcohol. Those are terrible battles. But would you listen to me carefully? There are many, many other battles that inflict our church congregations than drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality. Gossip, mean-spiritedness, bitterness. Hatred in church. Yep, in church. I'd, I'd be, I'd be hard-pressed to find you a single church that's ever split because somebody was doing drugs. I can show you a thousand churches that split because of people running their mouths. Amen. Preacher, that ain't very nice. I don't mean to be nice because it's the battle of our flesh. I can't tell you a single church that's ever split because somebody was consuming alcohol. Because somebody was a drunk. But I can show you a thousand churches uh, that have split because of people gossiping. You see, the battle of the flesh is our battle every single day. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for your attention this morning. One quick verse of invitation. I will ask you two questions as you bow your head and close your eyes, please. Nobody's looking. Two very quick questions. I want to ask you, number one, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you be honest and say, Pastor, message was for me this morning. There are some battles of my flesh that I need to conquer. 
I see a lot of hands going up. I see a lot more continuing to go up. Pray for me, preacher. There's some fleshly battles I'm working on. Pray for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate your honesty. If you raised your hand, there's folks who've already began to move. If you raised your hand just now, would you come on, make your way down to this altar right now. Ken's going to sing for us in just a moment, but don't wait for Ken. Come on, right now, right now, right now. I'm going to ask you a second question very quickly. Is there anybody here that would be honest and say, Pastor, the message was for me today, but for a very different reason. I'm not saved. Nobody's looking now. Close your eyes for me. Help me out. Nobody's looking. Pastor, I'm not saved. I feel the convicting of the Holy Spirit letting me know I'm lost. Pray for me that I'll be saved. Anyone like that this morning? Pastor, pray for me. I need to be saved. I'm lost. Anyone like that? If you raised your hand today that you need some victory over elements of your flesh, don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. Step out right now as Brother Ken sings one verse. One verse and one verse only. Sing, Brother Ken. tonight and I got a message for you that the Lord's been dealing with me for a long time and I can't wait to present to you tonight it really follows up this morning but it simply says this we can't quit now churches are falling by the wayside people are throwing in the spiritual towels in this day and age but you listen it's too much at stake church can't quit now be here tonight six o'clock Ken dismisses in prayer fellowship with each other Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful, Lord, for this opportunity to be back in your house this morning. And Father, we thank you first and foremost, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ, what he done on Calvary's cross for our sins, Lord, and how he paid that debt there. And Father, we can't praise you enough for that. And Father, what a timely message we heard this morning, Lord. I know every single person in here, God, it touched us in some way, form, or fashion. And God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us all 
God, to battle that flesh, Lord, daily, and God, die to ourselves. And God, looking forward, Lord, what you have laid on our pastor's heart tonight. God, I pray, Lord, you'll stir your people's heart to be inquisitive, Lord, and want to come out and hear what God has to say through the man of God tonight. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your people. Thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness. God, may you bless us now as we go our separate ways. God, looking for a good service here tonight. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. 